0: you're about to hear my conversation with David Arpin. We talk all about the oddity that is the COVID-19 recession, including how it impacted consumer spending habits, what impacts it had for government spending, regionalization, uh, and also the probability of future COVID durings. I hope you enjoy it. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnurr and I'm delighted to have David Arpin back on the podcast. David, thanks for coming back.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, man.
0: Um, I'm here to talk with David about the oddity that is the COVID-19 recession and recovery. Um, certainly every recession has a, a different uh, feel to it, a different cause, but COVID really seems like it's been uh, differentiated in several different areas. And I'm here to talk to David about that. And maybe I thought we'd start on consumer spending habits. Uh, COVID clearly had uh, impacts to where people are spending money. Uh, David, why don't you take me through what you've seen during uh, the COVID recession, why it's unusual, and what you're seeing now?
1: Yeah, sure, Matt. Um, so yeah, COVID is the is the strangest recession. Uh, I, I'm not going to say ever, but certainly in the post-war period, it, sure. it looks nothing like all other recessions. So, you know, I've talked about this at length in the past, that there's always this kind of traditional patterning or story around a recession and how it plays out. And of course, this one ended up being completely different. So, you know, if you think about consumer spending, um, consumer spending, normally you head into a recession, uh, everybody starts pulling back and, and where they pull back is big ticket items, first and foremost. And I mean, that's just kind of obvious, right? The economy's getting worse. You're getting nervous. Your neighbor loses their job or your job's coming under pressure. The last thing you're going to do is go out and buy new appliances. So this is what we always see. You see durable spending drop by about 10% in an average recession. And and there's not a lot of variance. I mean, it usually drops around 10%. Of course, this time, what happened was everybody pulled back for a very brief period of time. And then the lockdowns kicked in. And then, you know, you 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 look around and you're kind of like, okay, well, I can't travel. I can't go to a restaurant. I'm stuck in my house. I am so bored. And it'd be really nice if I had a deck. Right. and a backyard oasis and I need a home office so what ended up happening was the areas that normally come in in a recession instead really jumped out so you had things like I mean home Depot you know home depots it's it's a nice solid steady five six percent growth company that suddenly grew 25 percent during a recession which has never been I mean it's just unthinkable it usually you know they usually roughly flatline so we've had this really strange period where certain goods have been just, I mean, it's, they've been right off the map in terms of consumer demand. And if you kind of sit back and think about it, you know, the talk about inflation and whether or not it's transitory, part of it is coming from this. So if you're a supplier to Home Depot, you're planning, you know, you're in 2019, you're expecting your sales to go up 5% a year and suddenly Home Depot's on the phone and they're saying, you know, your category, we can't keep it. And you remember at the beginning with things like, like power tools, yeah. they, they didn't have any in the stores and they were just gone. Uh, they literally couldn't get supply, and that's kind of what happened and we're still seeing that you're still seeing areas like automotive, huge shortages um, you know used car sales are up some amazing amount I think more than I've ever seen before over a really brief period so it's it's really been kind of pressured uh, in certain areas and and I think our suspicion is and you're just starting to see it now as economies reopen, we're going the other direction. So you're starting to see people go back to restaurants. You're starting. I mean, if you look at open table data, they're wonderful. They give you data around the world in terms of the major economies and and how many people are back in restaurants. And a lot of areas were kind of back to normal now. Uh, Travel spending is going to start kicking up. And I think our suspicion is the big jump in durables is going to reverse um, I really have a question: How many decks you need to put on your house? I, I suspect <laughs> it's probably one. And once you've done it, you know you're you're kind of done. Sure. Um, so I think there's a possibility we're going to see something we've never seen before: where durable goods spending in some categories, which normally is like the greatest area as you come out of a recession, might turn out to be the opposite, and sales might start to fall for a lot of those companies. And that's going to be something you know that'll be a really odd thing to have happen. And I don't really see the market being set up for it very well. Uh, it seems like that's a bit of an an out there thesis right now.
0: Huh. And, and what are you? So what are you seeing? You you reference the market not being ready for it. Um, are you still seeing um, hefty valuations? I guess in in names like Home Depot in that type of thing, or or where do you think the market has it wrong right now?
1: They're less hefty. It's more that they don't seem to suggest there's a possibility that sales. You know, never mind flatlining might actually start to fall. I mean, if you think I about see. Depot and you say it really should have grown sales five, 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 and they grew right. 25, you gotta put up a minus 20 to get back to where you're supposed to be. Right. So it's it, it's it's more that, you know, you see it in a bunch of categories. The numbers are just way out of line. Even at I mean, usually when you look in sort of the really big macro accounts, things don't move around much. Sure. This is one of those weird cases. If you look at the really big macro level numbers for durable goods, it shows that they're way out of line. I mean, they're 20% higher in some cases than they should be. And if that snaps back, you're going to see a big drop in sales in those areas. So, I mean, that's, I think we're starting to see pieces of it. You're starting to have companies in those areas, you know, they thought sales would be up another 40%. Now they think they're going to be up five. Right. Uh, I think that's kind of the beginning when, the, you know, the kind of the momentum starts going the other way on them. But it's it's an odd period. I mean, I, you know, right across the board, this recession doesn't look normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, normally right now we'd have, I don't know, unemployment would have gone to eight or nine percent. We'd probably be at seven right now. I mean, it went to something, you know, 15 to 20. <laughs> uh, the US has put up five. So it's it's there's this whole narrative around coming out of a recession, which is is sort of you're set up for this five, six, seven, eight year period of extended steady economic growth. And what it is, is unemployment's really high, housing is really weak, and then the housing market starts to get stronger and people go back to work and it's this great virtuous circle. But if you think about it, it's like housing's gone crazy mean, prices are way up. So that doesn't really look like it's gonna support growth here. The unemployment levels are already right back down to near end of cycle. Uh, The U.S. is closing in on late cycle. Uh, We're hearing, and you know, you just open up your paper, there's anecdotal stories about all kinds of problems getting people to work. You know, we're running out of people, we don't have enough. So, this is all late cycle stuff. So, it kind of feels like we're not really set up for the usual five to eight year run here. It might be a lot shorter. Um, And, you know, that's, I think that's what we're starting to see. Right.
0: Um, so you referenced uh, consumer durables, which makes perfect sense. Uh, and I love the idea of decks and how many decks do you really need to buy. Um, I'm curious on your take on technology. Clearly a sector that has benefited a lot from the, the COVID lockdowns. Um, you know, Do you see the same thesis for a Netflix, a Disney Plus, those types of streaming services? Uh, or, or is it different in this case where they've really pulled it forward and you wouldn't expect to see the same uh, drop off?
1: They pulled it forward. I, you know, I'm not sure in terms of the kind of drop it off. It just like it just makes some sense if you think like, if you're going to get Disney Plus and you had any interest in getting Disney Plus, wouldn't you have signed up by now? Like, what exactly are right. you waiting for? You know, your chance to go like you couldn't go to a theater, you couldn't do you know. And it's the same with Netflix. So you would think there has to be some pull forward across the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should see it in, uh, in e-commerce. The same thing. It's not that, you know, everybody is going to suddenly stop doing it and never shop online again. It's more that we had a three or four year period where, you know, like almost three or four years of, of what should have been growth got pulled forward quickly. Uh, people started shopping in categories they'd never shopped in before. Uh, that might have taken them another five years to do. They've done it. They're used to it. They're happy with it. Right. But does that mean it's going to keep growing at 45%? Mm, probably not. And I think I mean, you saw it in Amazon's results recently, like Amazon, the results are strong, they're fine, but it's it's not what it was. Things are starting to come off in terms of the rate of growth. In terms of technology in general, um, you know, it still strikes us that this should be a pretty good decade for technology just because there's so much stuff going on. It's not like it was post the dot-com bubble where, you know, that was... What we'd done there was was we rolled out the infrastructure for the internet. We kind of really overdid it, uh, you know. You, I mean, you back then. I mean, you know, the, the amount of fiber that went in the ground was crazy. We're still lighting dark fiber now that we put in right. the ground in 1999. This isn't really the same thing at all. I mean, we've had the big wave into cloud computing, but it, it's everyone seems to agree we've got another 10 years to go there uh, before we really you know get everything on the cloud that we want to have on the cloud. There's all kinds of other technologies that are rolling out now that are, you know, they're big, they're impactful. We're in the front end of them. A lot of the stuff in, you know, telecommunications, the 5G rollouts, artificial intelligence we're right at the front end. So it's, it doesn't feel the same way where we had this you know, this huge run-in and this bubble and then a a subsequent collapse. It's more that, yeah, the shift got pulled forward a bit. It happened a little bit faster, but it's still going here. And that's, I mean, if you sit back and you go like, what's going to drive the world over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Technology, healthcare, biotech. I mean, those have to be areas that are pushing things and making things better. It's, it's, It's not going to be areas that were, you know, that are 100 years old. It's not going to be retail. Um, it just, yeah, I still think it makes a lot of sense,
0: right? Uh, well, maybe I'll take that and talk about another uh, sort of oddity of of the COVID recession, um, and it's sort of a linked uh, two or three different things, but it's really the government spending that's come uh, on on the fiscal side, particularly. I think we saw monetary uh, act far more quickly than we've seen in previous recessions as well, but coupled with the the fiscal side specifically is this idea and desire to for governments to Um, fund more innovation, fund more green technology, that type of thing. Uh, What do you think about the uh, staying nature, I guess, of of these types of programs of the government spend uh, and how unusual is that?
1: It's... You know, you you kind of can cut out in a couple ways. The first is sort of the really sort of like, let's think about this really short term. So we had, you know, you had COVID, governments went, we have to do something, you know, if we don't, we're going to have something that's going to make the Great Depression look like, you know, a walk in the park, basically. So they came in, they came in big and off we went. And then you can kind of go, okay, well, that's, you know, that's nice. And they're going to pull out over the next couple of years and then we'll go back to normal. Um. I I'm not so sure that that's really what is likely to have like likely to happen here. If you sit back and think about the role of government, really really broadly, it seems to go in these long long waves. And I mean like really long waves where where we have more and more government coming in and and the need for more or the perceived need for more government control and, and more government ownership. Um, And then it kind of the tide turns and it goes the other way. And, you know, when I'm talking about long term, like if you go back um, to, to, uh, you know, 100 plus years ago, we had the Gilded Age, which was a period where governments were very, very small. We didn't really have anything in the way of social programs. It was all very private sector oriented. And then something went really, really wrong. And that thing was the Great Depression. And, you know, the initial response was, it'll just sort itself out, it'll fix itself. And then, you know, by 1932, it was pretty obvious that, that things were not getting better. Um, I mean, you know, when you look at the, the actual data from that time period with, with the kind of, you know, the current hat on, it is shocking how bad it was. Yes. Uh, you yeah. know, one out of every three people out of work, a 50% decline in the economy. Like these numbers are just, they're unfathomable, it, you know, so- what you ended up have happening was you had the rise of Keynesianism, you had governments suddenly being empowered to do things. Then we hit World War II and, and you know, two things in a row where it was kind of obvious that the private sector wasn't going to solve it for you and that you're going to have to have a big role for government. And then we went through, you know, the 70s, 80s and 90s which were really a period where the opposite thing happened. Like you had the rise of Chicago school of economics, Milton Friedman, the idea that, you know, letting governments run everything was probably not a very good idea and that governments weren't very good at picking winners and they weren't very good at all kinds of things, which was all, I mean it's all reasonable. It's just that arguably it might have gone a little bit too far and what we saw coming out of that was What's happened in the last 20 years? We had the rise of China, which is heavily government directed. We've had a lot of economic problems in North America and Europe, which was tied to that, which is essentially manufacturing moved offshore. From an individual company standpoint, that all made perfect sense. You're cutting your costs, it's better. Yeah. And the original economic idea was, yeah, so therefore, from a societal standpoint, it also has to be a good thing. And, you know, finally, someone actually sat down and did some economic work on it, which was a guy at MIT, David Otter, and concluded that it actually wasn't that good a thing necessarily, because what was supposed to happen was everybody who lost their manufacturing job was going to retrain as a biochemist and, you know, everything would be fine. And of course, yeah, you know, 20 years on the line, you're not you're not becoming, you know, a a, a C sharp programmer overnight. right? Right. So it really caused major problems. And then I think you've had this this idea that we might need more government, that government running things might actually, you know, not everything, but but certainly a little bit more government intervention might be a good idea. And it, it, a lot of it really kind of came to a head with Donald Trump, where you had the America first idea, you had the idea that, you know, you needed a much stronger government, we had to stand up to China, we had the trade war stuff. And you would think with a new administration, you'd see all of that roll back, but we didn't. So we got President Biden. We had the, I mean, if you read the infrastructure plan that they rolled out a few months ago, just the, the bare bone idea behind it, it's very much America first. It's very much this idea of, you know, government picking winners. The U.S. needs their own semiconductor industry. Uh, we have to rethink supply chains. We can't have global supply chains. You, you know, key goods have to be manufactured in in, in the Americas again. So it's it's. We've gone from, I think it's just a bunch of things have come together here where we've had this long period of globalization and of laissez-faire economics. And we're kind of turning back to a period where we might be getting more regional and we might have a lot more government. And then, you know, the other one you mentioned was the green side of things. You know, we've had the IPCC come out with, you know, it's a red alert for humanity. We've got huge problems on the climate side. And again, I think you can argue that that's something that the private sector has a tough time tackling. Uh, because, you know, as an individual business, this may be more of a cost for you than it is for a benefit. Now, you know, some areas I think you can argue that it's it, companies are better off to switch and things are going to be cheaper. But when you're into early technologies and nascent technologies, you tend to need a lot of government support or somebody supporting it on the front end. And I think that's kind of what we're heading into. So it's, it's almost like we've had the one-two punch again where COVID is the first one which says, you know, private sector can't fix this. And now we're looking at the kind of green transition and going, yeah, again, we're going to need more government. So it's, it feels to me like this has been a this might be a pretty big change over. And you're seeing it on the US side with more and more antitrust activity and sort of an effort to go after companies or to kind of slow down big business. Um, So, you know, it all strikes me that it's, it's, it's probably pretty important and when you look back at it with a 30-year lens, you're going to go, yeah, no, it was obvious that's what was happening and this was all changing. It's just sure. when you're living through the middle of it, it's never quite as easy, right? So, But thats I think that's what we think is happening.
0: So, so um, given the fact that you can take a mulligan because we are living through the middle of it, what implications do, does this change in government um, spending, being more forceful, uh, how does that impact as you think about your portfolio, where you're finding ideas, what, uh, what companies to select, that type of thing?
1: Yeah, so it makes you more nervous about areas that have a lot of government control already in them because, you know, highly regulated areas, um, if you start having governments waving bigger and bigger sticks around, it can be a problem. Um, A bit concerned on some of the big tech companies, Uh, those have been a focus for you know, there's issues on antitrust, there's concerns about supply, there's concerns about a bunch of things with a number of those businesses, much less uh, Microsoft, much more some of the other ones. So, I mean, that's kind of a, a broader area. Um, it's, you know, I, I hate to do the, gee, it's too early to tell thing, but I think in a lot of ways, you know, it is it is too early to tell. Uh, I'm definitely happier more in the, in the slightly smaller business, more mid-cap kind of area just because they tend to run into a lot less of this. They're not really viewed as being vital businesses. And so, you, you know, you just don't have as many trouble, as many problems or potential for problems. Um, so that's, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the big picture there. Um, and I'm really curious on the semiconductor side, what ends up coming out of this, if we really do have kind of, a, you know, th- two or three different regional semiconductor design and manufacturing areas um, you know, we have a company or a couple of companies involved in that area. And I think it'd actually be pretty good for them. So um, just because it ends up giving them, you know, probably more customers. Right. Um,
0: well, maybe we'll extend on that thought. Uh, and you touched on it earlier, which is this uh, concept of regionalization um, and, uh, and the different uh, regions sort of being led by, call it, uh, competing uh, superpowers. Um, you know, what? what do you see as far as what regions uh, are going to come to life? Uh, like I think uh, offhand, I can think of North America, China, uh, and Asia, or China-led Asia, U.S.-led North America, kind of a Eurozone. What, how do you how do you view this, and what implications does it have for both big multinational firms, but also maybe some of the more smidcap uh, regional players?
1: Yeah. It's, you know, again, you're into like, this is, it's kind of tough to put on your hat and go, gee, this is what's (laughs) going to happen. But yeah, I mean, it's exactly what you're saying, right? You have kind of this, this European block, you have the America's block, and then you have an Asian block. Uh, And obviously within each one, you have separate countries that have separate agendas and separate interests, but some of the focuses are different, right? The, The European focus is much, seemingly much more on the environment, uh, they have tended to lead there. You have the big push on things like hydrogen there that, that you're you know, maybe seeing less of elsewhere. Um, much more interest in regulating business, much more interest in regulating labor. Um, so it's, it's it's got a different flavor to it than what we're used to in North America. I mean Canada's somewhere in the middle and then the US has always been a little bit more uh, a little bit more free market. do what you want. Uh, you know, and look, there's pros and cons to that. We've seen it through the COVID period. Uh, you know, the Canadian experience, we had a tough time getting organized and when we finally got our way around it, to it, we've done pretty well. And then the States has been a little choppier. So, I mean, there's no, there's no one solution that fits all problems. Right. right. Um, yeah, I mean, in the States, I think what I'm, you know, broader than just the U S we've had this period where corporate margins have gone up a fair amount, um, And that is, from a stock market standpoint, it's wonderful when margins go up because that means earnings are going up, which means stock markets also tend to go up. One thing you have to kind of wonder about is, is are we starting to get to the point where we're going to see pressure put on companies by governments at a more regional level? I mean, whether it's on the tax side where we're starting to hear noises, uh, whether it's on the labor side where, again, you know, you, you got some pushback. Whether or not it's just on the overall margin side, where there's definitely concerns around just how profitable some of these companies have become, you know I think i we've talked about this before, but this the whole idea of, of essentially you have you have the companies have really consolidated down to the point where you know you don't have enough competition where margins have gotten too high because of that consolidation, so therefore we need to go and break them up yeah. um, you know we chatted about how that may not entirely be true in that. When you kind of pull apart companies and you look at them across time, you tend to find for most companies themselves, their margins haven't changed that much. It's more been this mixed shift in the economy where we've gone from, you know, if you go back 50 years ago, we were doing a lot of, you know, automotive and oil and steel. And now you're doing a lot of IT where, you know, software companies have pretty much 100% profit margins because it's software. Uh, So you've sort of, I mean, to me, you've had this kind of inherent roll up in margins for a lot of businesses that may be being mistaken as, as a change in concentration or a change in corporate power. Um, but just because I think it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, <laughs> Mr. Biden agrees. And, and, you know, if Mr. Biden doesn't agree, then that, then there may be a little bit more pressure on the margin side over time. And none of that's, I mean, none of that's great for stocks, right? I mean, if you start seeing governments going after corporate profitability, that's, sure. I, I don't feel how you'd see that as good news. Uh, so that is something that I, I kind of wonder about. And then, uh, you know, you asked on sort of the smaller companies. If you get into a more regional world, then, the the benefits to scale are less. Hmm. So being a true global multinational just becomes less important and you can get more regional champions. And that's certainly something that Asia, uh, China in particular, I think would love to push is, is, is sort of Asia wide champion businesses, um, right. less North American headquartered companies, uh, you know, and kind of trying to continue to move up the technology chain themselves rather than having to import technology. So, I mean, it's, there's, there's, it's a, it's a, you know the same as always. There's all these pieces in the air and everything's yeah. moving on at the same time. But yeah, I think there's some kind of big themes that are sort of playing out here in the, in the background. And that's you know the regionalization from globalization is one. Um, the move to green energy is is a huge theme that's going to you know that'll be the next twenty years of all of our lives. I think that's going to spill out in all kinds of areas. Um, so there's some big pieces happening. And you know globalization versus regionalization. I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, the shift to green energy, I think is, is pretty much unambiguously good. Sure. Uh, you know, you should end up with cheaper and cheaper and cleaner energy than what we have now. I mean, the, the key is cheaper ultimately. Uh, right. so that should benefit everybody over time, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not going to happen in the next two years. Uh, that's a slow one. Sure. Um,
0: I guess so we've talked about a, a fair number of big concepts, and maybe we'll leave beside the spending patterns, which seems like they will uh, sort of regress to the mean uh, over time, and I think that's pretty reasonable. But the idea of the the government shift, the the more involved government, regionalization, these types of things, When you're evaluating uh, these CSISs as they unfold, how do you know or at what point would you say, you know what, I'm probably getting something wrong here. Uh, You know, maybe we're actually just going to go back to more of a globalized world uh, that we saw pre-COVID. What what would you be looking for to to think about those things?
1: So I'd flip that on its head. Um, To me and to us, the right approach is to always assume that you're probably wrong. OK, As, You know, it's it's, it's like it's, I mean, we've talked about this before, right? Like if you if you go into a problem and you think you're right and you're sure you're right. And, you're, and I always listen to this thing about how, you know, you need conviction and you got to have conviction. It's like, yeah, like, yeah, people going off cliffs, lemming going, lemmings going off cliffs. They, they have a lot of conviction and I respect <laughs> them for it. But um, at some point you got to look ahead and change your mind. Right. Sure. So if you go out it the opposite way and you go like these are all tentative hypotheses, what's the hint that I'm wrong? So you're going to start seeing pushback and you're seeing it in the U.S. from the state level already. You're seeing it on the COVID mandates. You're seeing, you know, will the Democrats be able to get large packages actually passed through reconciliation or will it ultimately, you know, we'll get halfway there or it'll kind of fall apart? Uh, you know, in another year or so, we're going to come have a, have an election in the U.S. Uh, right. Did the Democrats lose the House again, which they already looking like they might. So, you know, what are we really going to see here? Um, I think on the green energy side of things, I just have enormous trouble seeing it going the other direction. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, if you look at the technology and you start looking at solar and wind and you start looking at where we should end up on the battery side in another five years, and you start reading what the companies are telling you and looking at what they're saying and what they're trying to do, you kind of go, yeah, like this ship has sailed. Right. Um, uh, I don't know which year we're going to be, you know, the, but it, it just seems like by the time we get to the end of the decade, this is long done. Uh, you know, it's kind of like the flat panel from, uh, from, you know, big CRT yeah. TV switch right. where it got cheaper and better. And then everybody kind of went into the showroom and looked at it and went, okay, why would why do I want that one anymore? Like I, this one's beautiful. Um, so it's, it's, it's a bit of the same stuff there. Um, so it's, what are you looking for? I mean, you're looking for clear signs that what you're thinking may not be right. So you know, China and the u s. sit down tomorrow. They hash out a whole bunch of problems. They come to some sort of large set of agreements, and everybody just rolls on forward. So you know you may see all of that. Um, my guess at this point is is that you know we're we're getting to the point where we've gone too far already and the conflicts are getting too large, and you're not going to walk it back, but we may. Um, so I mean, then you think about it from an investment standpoint, it's, it's an interesting question from an investment standpoint is, is how do you take sort of macro stuff and have it do something good for you as, as an investor or for your, for a portfolio? And, you know, usually the idea is, oh, well, you know, you grab a theme and then you go find some companies in that theme and then you buy a basket of them. And, and I've never been so sure that that's the right way to go at it. We kind of have a bunch of things that we think are happening in the background. And then we have a bunch of companies that we think are really, I mean, they're excellent businesses, they're well-managed, they're in good areas. And you kind of marry them up sometimes and you go, yeah, like this business, not only is it a well-run, great company, et cetera, but they've got a bunch of things that are now going their way in the background and are really going to help them grow a bit faster and do a bit better. And it's just going to be better than you think it would be or better than the market really thinks it will be. And those are the names where, you know, over five years and seven years and 10 years, they, they add a lot of performance, not because you got anything magically theme right. It was just that you had the combination of a good business in a good area where it all kind of worked out. And if something doesn't work out on the theme, it's still a good business in a good area that's still well managed. So as a result, you don't have that downside collapse that you get with the real speculative businesses. Right. I mean, that's kind of how we've always approached it, where you sort of have this framework in your head. This is what's going on. This is what's important. This is the way the world's moving. And then how do I kind of find businesses or make sure that I'm, I'm more aligned with that? I mean, you know, an easy example is a company that I've owned forever, which is uh, not, not literally forever, but um, <laughs> is Anphenol. Amphenol, this is this company that does interconnects. Um, interconnects are the little physical things that you need in a system to put electrical components together. So, you know, you think like a plugging in a USB, that is a terribly cheap low-end interconnect. A high-end interconnect would be something sitting in in a plane or sitting in in a UV. The world, very big picture has been moving from mechanical to electrical for 25, 30, 40 years. And they have just been very steadily, very boringly, very consistently benefiting from it. And that is a very long playing theme that I've been watching now for decades. It hasn't changed. It's still going. They still grow faster than they should. Uh, You know, and the business just kind of rolls. And that's really, you know, it's a case where you've kind of like, is it it bottom up? Is it top down? What is it? Well, it's kind of both, but that's fine because it works. Uh, And that's what matters at the end of the day, right? So, I mean, that's, those are the cases. I mean, we have another one uh, called Schneider Electric, which is uh, in France, Schneider I would, I would call it a reasonably well-run uh, historical you know, business where you'd look back at it and you go, like, this is a decent company. They're in decent areas. And they are very much a beneficiary of what's happening on the electrification side. They, you know They're globally number one at low and medium voltage, which means as we get more and more electrical stuff rolling out over the next decade, they will be a net beneficiary. They will grow faster. They will do better than they did in the past. And you know, you're putting together again a, a decent, well-run company where the stuff that's going on in the background is definitely improved. You put it together and you get something that's just they just keep doing better than people think they will. And that's right. why. It's because they're gonna do better than they did in the past. The business is improved because the areas that they're in are are just improving. So I mean, those are those are I mean, that's kind of how you how you put it together. It's always that interesting challenge of, you know, I think this is a neat idea, followed by gee, are there any companies that actually do this? And are there any companies that do this and aren't, you know, nascent early stage, you know, like a lot of the stuff I look at on the biology side, it's fascinating, but the companies doing it are so early stage, right? You know, you're basically buying lottery tickets and rolling dices if you're doing that. And, you know, we won't invest like that. So it's, it's really interesting and it's really neat and I can talk about it all day, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really make it into the portfolio very much. So it's, it's, I mean, that's just life, right? Sure.
0: Makes a lot of sense. Um, One last uh, topic that I I wanted to bring up, and it seems appropriate, with uh, the Delta variant um, going throughout uh, North America the rest of the world. Um, Fortunately, it appears that the Delta variant um, is not terribly uh, impactful for those that are vaccinated, uh, as far as uh, hospitalizations and deaths, uh, at least. what are you paying attention to on the variant side? Are you worried about a, a variant that can uh can actually um e- impact uh, vaccinated people uh, what what are you what are you focused on on that?
1: So what we're focused yeah I mean what we're worried about is exactly that it's It's a variant that is able to skip around uh, the vaccines and if you think about how i mean what what is a variant a variant is a virus that was copied wrong. So sure. when the virus replicates, it's slightly wrong. Um, and wrong may work better, wrong way may work the same, wrong may work worse. And what you're, you know, the ones you worry about are when it works better. Um, as you get more and more people vaccinated, variants that don't have any effect on vaccinated people aren't going to spread. So you almost start selecting for variants that can avoid the vaccines and i think that's what you worry about is you get something that is you know delta may be slightly better at avoiding vaccines but it doesn't seem to be that material you get some zeta variant that that you know just walks right around the vaccine and off we go again And at which point you're going to have to spend another four months retweaking the vaccines figuring out you know what exactly what what's changed molecularly with the virus how do we go in to try to stop that how do we prime the immune system And then we have to go through FDA approvals and global approvals, and then you have to revaccinate everybody. Um, And, you know, we might be able to do that one more time, but I'm not sure you're going to be able to do that every five months for the next 20 years before people just get so sick and tired of it that they just give up. Um, So there's probably a limit. The positive side is if you think about, you know, you you start out with this initial, um, initial virus, and it, as it replicates, it starts to, I mean, think of it as, as, as having a conscious attempt to switch. So it's going to try out different variations. Sure. A lot of the variations will be tried out fairly early on. So what we tend to see with viruses is as they float around for longer and longer and longer and longer, they've tried out most stuff. And if you don't and if you're really going to have something which walks around um, vaccines or is highly transmissible or is much more dangerous, you're likely to hit it earlier on. You're not likely to have it happen after five years or 10 years or 20 years. So, you know, if we're going to get it, we're probably going to get it sooner rather than later. And hopefully we don't. Um, I guess the only other thing I'd comment on broadly there is, and this is into the biology stuff. Um, there's been huge progress in terms of, um, how we characterize viruses, how we're able to create, um, proteins to actually cap viruses and render them inactive. Um, how we're able to, you know, create antibodies and put them into people. It's, it's, really been in the last probably six to 12 months, there's been a lot of technological jumps. It's not the stuff we're seeing right now. It's not the Moderna. It's not the Pfizer. Um, what happened was, um, there's, this is going back a bit. Uh, there's this field called proteomics, which back in the late 1990s, early 2000s was going to be the great solution to all our problems. And we were going to figure out how to create human proteins. And then that was going to, like most of the things that goes wrong in a human is caused by something wrong with proteins. Uh, Most might be an overstatement, but there are certainly a lot of things, and that's what's happening with viruses. Um, Anyway, what we thought would happen we would be able to just go out and create proteins, and then we'd solve a lot of problems. And what we discovered is we couldn't do it because we couldn't figure out how the proteins themselves worked. So if you have a piece of DNA, we had absolutely no idea what proteins it would create. uh, Or if we knew what it would create, we didn't know what it would actually look like. We didn't know the physical structure. And we spent a long, long time trying to solve that problem and didn't get very far. Uh, And over the last four years, um, Google's AI DeepMind tackled it and pretty much solved it. So we've gone from this world of, you know, we don't really know what DNA tells us to a world where if you give DeepMind a piece of DNA, it will read it and tell you what the protein it'll create will look like to a very high degree of accuracy. That means from a medical standpoint, it looks like we're now at the point where we're going to be able to start to create customized proteins that are able to, I mean, if you think about a vaccine uh, or sorry, a virus with a spike on it, you're able to create a protein that literally will just go cap that spike. And that stops the spike from attaching to a cell, which stops the virus from being able to transmit Mm -hmm. to people. So, you know, will this stuff actually genuinely work in people as opposed to, you know, working in a lab or working in a model? Uh, We'll see. We're now in trials. Um, So we'll find that out, I guess, in the next probably six to 12 months. It's, There's going to be a lot of things coming on the biology side. I mean, the way I would think about it is if you put your kind of history hat on, the early 1900s, we had all these massive breakthroughs in physics, I mean, truly massive breakthroughs. We discovered quantum mechanics, all the things that, that, you know, laid the groundwork for semiconductors in the computer era. And I think that's happening in biology today. It's the breakthroughs are that big, that foundational, that structural, that important. Um, And we're starting to see it perk up in all kinds of strange places. We've been chasing down this thing on the food supply side where, you know, you're you're starting to create custom cells uh, and then you just get, just Google. I mean, it sounds, you know, I first read it and I was like, yeah, George Jetsons, that's great. Like we're going to make these custom meat (laughs) cells. Sure. And then you start Googling it and you're like, man, there's all these startups and companies doing this all over the place. And the question is, can you get costs down? And the protein side, again, I mean, if, if you take something like an egg white, 90% 90% water, 10% protein. We're now able to custom make the proteins and literally custom make egg whites in a lab. And that's now trying to be scaled to truly massive size. So, like, there's a lot of stuff going on right now that's pretty interesting. What's going to work? Can we get the cost down? Is it going to be as big as it could be? Uh, we'll see over the next five to 10 years. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I always say this with equity equities, right? There's always so many neat things going on in the world and so many smart people figuring things out. This is why they go up over time, because you sure. find companies, you solve problems, you solve things that humans need you to solve. It's worth money and off you go. And that's there's a lot of areas that I think we're really seeing that. It's, I think this is going to be one of the most fascinating decades that we've had. Uh, so yeah, that's that's where we are. I'm looking forward to it. Well, let's, uh, let's
0: end it on that note. I can't think of a better, more optimistic note to, to end our conversation on. David, thank you so much for, for taking the time to walk uh, through that. Really fascinating conversation. Really
1: appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Beck.
0: The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and Mackenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions